Hello and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Drew Nicholl. AIMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry, with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each bi-weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment industry, with news, views and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So, whether you're a hedge fund or private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Hello and Happy New Year from all of us here at The Long Short. In today's episode, I'm rejoined by my colleague Adam Jacobs-Dean, who you may remember from episode two on ESG. I've managed to entice Adam back to the virtual studio to give us an update on a very busy period for short selling, given that he also leads Amos advocacy work in this arena. Adam, welcome back. Good to be back and Happy New Year to everyone. So for any of our listeners that may have been loosely following the short selling narrative over the past few years, but only sort of vaguely understand that to sell short is to express a negative sentiment towards a stock or a market, and that it's mostly used as a hedge. Could you just flesh out their understanding a little bit? Sure, so if I start with the basic description of what short selling is, and hopefully that gives something for us to build on. So short selling is the act of borrowing an asset and selling it to a third party with the intention of buying that asset back once its price has decreased. Now the price may or may not decrease, but that is the the essential intention. And in that framework, the difference between the higher price at which the asset is initially sold and the lower price at which it is repurchased and and then returned to the party that lent it, minus fees paid to borrow the asset, that represents the profit of the investor that undertakes short selling. So it is essentially a way of generating profits from the price of an asset correcting downwards. It's worth saying that it's most commonly used as part of an investment strategy that would also include long exposures. So you're using short selling as a way to hedge the risk in the portfolio. Um, It's much more uncommon to do short selling in isolation. And it's worth stressing that short sellers don't always generate a profit from their short selling. It carries risk like any other Uh, investment technique and therefore um, short selling requires a a degree of expertise that um, hedge funds possess and if you want the fuller answer we did last year publish a primer about the role of short selling um, that's available on our website and freely accessible for anybody who wants the 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 longer answer than the one I've just given. Perfect thank you so just to set the scene a little bit uh, short sellers had a tricky time of it in recent years Uh, in that in the first half of 2020, when the COVID pandemic first hit Europe and and the Americas, we saw uh, the largest wave of short selling bans, temporary bans uh, in Europe and Asia that we've seen since the 2008 global financial crisis. And then with that also came changes to the shorting disclosure thresholds in the EU and the UK. And then at the beginning of last year in the US, we had all the excitement around the short squeezes of meme stocks, such as GameStop. 
which led to an SEC report on the whole episode. Given all of that, where are we now on each of these fronts? Shall we start with the US market? And, and could you tell us a little bit about the SEC's report? Absolutely. So as you alluded to, um, we did last year see this whole GameStop phenomenon where um, retail traders were essentially banding together via social media, Wall Street bets, uh, the subreddit on that topic to coordinate buying in certain heavily shorted stocks, including GameStop. And we saw absolutely phenomenal price increases in certain securities. So the price of GameStop, for example, jumped um, 2,700% in the period of 8th of January to 28th of January before ultimately um, crashing back down. And that huge rise in uh, share prices led to a short squeeze as prices basically became completely disconnected from reality. And as a result, certain hedge funds with concentrated short positions did suffer um, big losses. There was initially this sort of sense of, of glee in some quarters that you were seeing um, the more sophisticated investors now suffering a hit. But actually, I think the reality is people have increasingly come to realise is that this is a major problem for all of us if you can see market functioning distorted in that way by that kind of coordinated um, behavior and also some of the individual retail investors participating in that frenzy were probably not particularly well placed to bear losses at all and they were exposing themselves to quite um, significant potential loss that's obviously that story which is i'm sure um, familiar to, to many listeners has prompted a huge deal of scrutiny from policymakers um, starting in the u.s and over the course of last year, we saw a, a whole host of um, hearings at the political level looking at a range of issues that the scenario highlighted. So the role of social media and, and retail participation in financial markets, the role of payment for order flow, which was at the heart of how some of the uh, retail um, trading apps uh, run their business, or the role of short selling as well. Um, so th there's been a huge degree of political attention on the topic. And then in October of last year, we saw a SEC staff report um, actually titled on equity and options market structure conditions in early 2021. They looked at the whole um, scenario around GameStop and uh, the dynamics in the market at the time. And that report concluded that it was actually the degree of positive sentiment, i.e. the retail investor community purchasing shares, rather than short sellers trying to cover their positions, that was the real driver of the um, incredible degree of price increase that we saw. What we don't know from the report, though, is where the SEC will go in terms of potential enhanced reporting requirements for firms that short sell. And actually, if I could just pick you up on on a point there, because, you know, you mentioned Wall Street bets and and, and this sort of uh, the perception, at least at the time, was that this was a very retail driven uh, phenomenon. And if you were to go onto these boards or, or even onto Twitter and elsewhere, there was a lot of talk around uh, short sellers being the real bad guys here and the concept of them being naked short sellers. Uh, the point being here that they had not borrowed securities before they sold short and therefore were distorting the market by uh, flooding with sell orders. Although my understanding is that no actual evidence towards that ha has come to light. 
could you just address that point directly and, and, and help our listeners understand sort of what's going on here? Because it really was a, a key point in the narrative at the time. Absolutely. And it's something that the SEC staff themselves address in the report that I mentioned. They look at whether there was any evidence to support this idea that there was a significant amount of um, naked short selling and, and ultimately don't um, conclude that that was the case. The, the other issue that tends to come up in this discussion as well is how could it possibly have been the case that you had um, more than 100% uh, short interest, i.e. the amount of short sales were more than the available um, securities in, in particular issuers. And again, I think that, that reflects sometimes a... Um, a misunderstanding in, in terms of how the, the market works. And it is it's unusual to have such a significant amount of short interest for a particular issue, issuer, but it's, it's perfectly technically possible. So if somebody has a long position in a particular share and then lends those shares to a short seller who then sells them, the buyer could in turn lend those shares again to a different short seller. So it's, it's perfectly feasible that you have chains of securities being lent that leads to short selling, uh, short interest greater than 100% of the free float of a particular issuer. But as I say, it's, it's unusual, but it's, it's possible. And we should say again that uh, there is far more information on, on each of the uh, sort of more technical aspects of this topic on the AIMA website in our various reports, which are free to read for uh, members and non-members. Um, but thank you very much, Adam, for that. And uh, I think we'll hop over the pond to discuss the latest events in the EU and the UK after this brief interlude. AMA and the ACC are pleased to announce the Private Credit Investor Forum, which will be taking place in person on January the 24th, 2022 in Miami. As the sole membership association representing the global private credit market, we are delighted to be hosting the only dedicated private credit conference in partnership with iConnections during the annual Alternative Investment Week in Florida. LPs, GPs and industry specialists from around the globe will come together to discuss the key trends shaping allocator sentiment and the evolution of asset class. The day will include expanded networking opportunities alongside our premium content. Discussions will include comparability and standardization in private credit, trends in product design, ESG in private markets and getting the allocator's perspective on whether private credit is an asset class. Join us to share in the discussion, resume relationship building and make good on those long overdue reunion plans. Welcome back. I'm here with Adam Jacobs-Dean, who leads AIMA's regulatory work related to short selling. Adam, before the break, we were talking about the US. So let's move over to Europe and the changes to the shorting disclosure rules. For anyone that doesn't know, could you give us a bit of background on what all this means and why it matters? Sure. So, you know, it's worth understanding in the context of the European requirements that you have two thresholds, essentially, in the short selling regulation. So if your short position reaches a certain level, um, which historically was 0.2% of the issued share capital of a particular issuer, then you would have to tell the um, appropriate supervisory authority um, for the, the jurisdiction in which that issue is based about your short position. And then if your position reaches 0.5%, you have to tell the entire world essentially. So you have an initial supervisory disclosure threshold and then a public disclosure threshold. And um, in the wake of the market turmoil associated with the COVID pandemic, 
supervisory authorities brought that 0.2% threshold down to 0.1%. And so firms pretty much overnight suddenly had to grapple with the fact that there was a whole host of transactions that they now needed to report to their supervisory authorities that they hadn't previously. But it meant that supervisors did collect over the course of 2020 a huge amount of information about firms' uh, short positions. Now, what's interesting in, in the European context, perhaps more so than that 0.1 or 0.2 number, is that 0.5% number, i.e. the point at which you have to tell the world about your uh, short positions. And there has been a huge amount of debate in recent years about how that number and that requirement generally to um, disclose what is potentially very sensitive commercial in information about your investment strategy, how that impacts the trading environment. And there's a wealth of evidence to suggest that that leads to copycat trading as some firms try and replicate other firm strategies, or it leads to firms to avoid taking larger short positions that might be in the interests ultimately of their investors, but that they don't want to disclose publicly. So I know that you and the rest of our team here at AMA have been very active in this arena during all of this. So can you just walk us through the association's position on the permanent lowering of the disclosure thresholds and also short selling more broadly? Sure. So in terms of lowering of the threshold, we would say that the level of additional work for firms to make those reports to um, authorities in the EU isn't necessarily commensurate with the amount of benefit that they ultimately derive from the inf information that they get. They've already got a huge amount of information on firms' short positions well in excess of what they would have on the long side, for example. But perhaps the, the more interesting debate for us is around the public uh, transparency threshold. Obviously, there's a big question in the US about how far you go down the route of replicating what you already have in Europe in terms of individual public transparency around short positions. And in Europe, there is an ongoing review by ESMA of the functioning of the short selling regulation. And the point that we uh, are pressing in, in both contexts is that public transparency of individual short positions does have a harmful impact on market functioning. It disincentivize firms from taking short positions in the first place, which might be harmful ultimately to their ability to generate returns for their investors, or indeed to scrutinize companies that might be um, exhibiting problematic practices. And at the same time, it leads to copycat behavior as investment managers can look at what other firms have been doing and then potentially seek to replicate their trading strategy. And so we've, we've been arguing very strongly that um, while it's helpful for supervisors to have a degree of information about short positions, and maybe it's helpful as well to the market to have a view of aggregate short interest in the market for particular issuers, it's not helpful to have a framework that reveals individual firms, individual short positions. And that's a case that we'll continue to make in both the US context and in Europe. And you uh, alluded to some of the work uh, cut out for, for all of us in uh, Europe with the review of the short selling regulation, but just uh, in, in that market and also globally, what can we expect from the year ahead? So 
globally, we should get a sense of where the SEC is going in terms of a potential overhaul of its requirements around short selling. And the big question at this stage is how far they will emulate public disclosure requirements that we have in the EU, as I mentioned earlier. So that's that's something that we will get clarity on in, in a hopefully relatively short order. In Europe, obviously, we have the, the review by ESMA, um, which will lead to a final report and ultimately, potentially, um, the uh, proposal by the Commission of, of changes to the framework. But it's it's it remains to be seen at this stage whether um, policymakers in Europe will actually pursue change. I've spoken a lot about the, the public aspects of um, reporting in the EU. I think realistically there is a fairly strong opposition in certain quarters of the policymaking community to changing um, those requirements. But on the positive front, what we, we might see is a move to have a central EU-wide channel for reporting of short selling positions. At the moment, you have to report to individual member state authorities. So um, you, you have a whole host of different reporting systems to navigate, which is deeply unhelpful for, for firms. And so the, the big hope is that uh, in Europe, there might be some willingness to improve that situation with an EU-wide reporting channel. That's interesting, and that would actually be, uh, say, a, a big step forward from the from the current situation uh, on reporting. Do we have any sense on how the UK will land on this position, given that uh, there have been some uh, steps towards divergence from the EU? So so far, the EU has um, so the UK has has obviously in the course of 2020 taken a clear stance that it didn't want to go down the route of a short selling ban of any kind. So that's been helpful. Um, it has moved in step with ESMA and other um, European authorities to reduce the initial uh, uh, reporting threshold for um, notification of short positions to the supervisory authority, i.e. The, the FCA in the UK. And it's it's basically keeping that lowered um, threshold. Uh, at this stage, there are no indications that it wants to pursue a more fundamental rewrite of the overall short selling rules that it's inherited from the EU. But ultimately, if the EU does decide to pursue change, then I'm sure that would be a prompt for the UK itself to ask whether it wanted to uh, copy those changes or at the very least to understand how they might impact on firms that trade in both the UK and in EU markets. Well, that was an incredibly useful uh, update to start us off for the year in, in, in what I, I'm sure will be a, another busy one for, for you and your team on the advocacy front. Uh, and that was very enlightening for me and I'm sure it was for our listeners also. So thank you very much for that. And uh, that's the end of the show. Thanks, The Long Short was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. Next week, we will be joined by Henry Oslanian, fintech and crypto leader at PwC Hong Kong, who will offer a timely update on the state of play in the high-profile digital asset markets and discuss what could be in store for hedge funds looking to enter the space. To get the latest episodes, you can subscribe to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or stream episodes directly from our website, aima.org.